1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Turn with me to Hebrews, just a little bit to the right. That's a New Testament, Reese. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us grace to to teach well and to study and learn well. Father, we acknowledge you are good, and one day we do look forward to being in your presence and seeing Christ and having no shame, no accusations brought against us. We'll be able to see you. We'll be able to worship you unhindered. We'll be able to praise you and serve you wholeheartedly. For the first time, we'll be able to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our our being. We look forward to that day. That gives us hope, that motivates us to seek after you. Father, as we study, we have distractions aplenty. We have difficulties at work, difficulties at home, relationships that are strained, those that we're concerned and anxious about, both physically and spiritually, or we have our own battle with the flesh and sin but I pray that you would help me as our shepherd to teach clearly and help us as a body to listen attentively and may we all leave here rejoicing because we've been together because we sang true songs and we heard truth taught and Father, we ask, ask you would give us grace to obey. We would apply your word to our hearts, to our lives, that we could give you glory. Father, for those that are lost, may they hear the gospel being preached and may your spirit touch them and use today's teaching to bring them to faith in Christ. May the believer be encouraged and empowered. Move this morning in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.
we're walking through this letter to the Philippian church, Paul started this church on his second missionary journey. He has received a gift, uh, some help from this church. It was sent by Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sick. He thought he was so sick he was going to die, but God was merciful to him, spared his life. And now Paul is going to send this letter back to the Philippian church. He tells us he's sending Epaphras, Epaphroditus back so they can see him and rejoice. And then he says again in chapters 2, verse 28, 29, then receive him with all joy. And then chapter 3, verse 1, what does he say? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. We studied last week that in order to have joy, we must forsake merit and trust Christ. In order to have joy, we have to trust in Christ alone. We have to forsake our own efforts to attain righteousness, to gain favor with God by what we do. There were some false teachers, some Judaizers, we call them. They were Jews, and what they were doing, telling these Gentile believers, as the, the, most of the believers, if not all of them in Philippi, were Gentiles. But there were some of these Judaizers were telling the Gentiles that they had to first become Jews before they could follow Christ. And so Paul is telling them to watch out for these false teachers. We have to forsake merit and, and trust Christ and Christ alone in order to have joy. Also, in order to have joy, we must see Christ to be like Him. Let's read chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 8 through 11, just to kind of set the context for our text this morning. Indeed, I count everything as loss. What Paul has just done is he's, he's all these credentials. If you want to if you want to hold up your own credentials and what you've done, if you want to try to merit salvation, if anybody could do that, it'd have been me. And look what I've done. And he mentions all the things that he's, all the accomplishments he had, his pedigree. He, this would be his accomplishments. He says, indeed, I count everything at law as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul wanted to know Jesus. It's like we sang. That's, that was his, his single ambition. He wants to know him. He wants to be like him, and he looks forward to being glorified. And although he's, one day he's going to be like Christ, and he's going to know him for all eternity, Paul is not satisfied with waiting to be like Jesus or, or knowing Jesus so intimately in the future. No, Paul says, I want to know Jesus now. I'm seeking him now. I want to be like him now in this life. So that sets us up for verses 12 through 16. Let's read that together. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 
I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Just a couple things we're going to point out this morning from our text. And first is that when recognizing we'll never be perfect, we are nevertheless dissatisfied. Paul says, I haven't attained perfection because I can't fully in this life, with this flesh, and in this sinful world. Paul admitted that. He longs to be like Christ. He, he longs to know the, the power of the resurrection, to share in his sufferings, become like him in his death. He wants to, to be resurrected. He wants that glorification that's going to come. He looks forward to that. But he says, I realize that I can't be perfect. I can't have that here on this earth. But some would say they hold to what would you call a perfectionist theology or sometimes called entire sanctification. Um, it, it was promoted by John Wesley years ago. He's who started the Methodist church. He, he was an awesome preacher, a godly man. His ministry has affected us even, it affected all of us, even though you wouldn't know that. But he taught that a believer could completely defeat sin in this present life and live a holy life like Christ did on this earth. And at first glance, if you hear that, you think, well, okay, uh, that may maybe make sense. Jesus came to save us from sin, he died for our sins. He died uh, so that we could be free from the bondage of sin. He sent his Holy Spirit to empower us. Uh, to overcome sin and live obedient, righteous lives. I mean, in fact, the Bible tells us, be holy as I am holy, God says. Well, God wouldn't tell us to do something that we, we couldn't possibly do, surely not. Well, surely so. That's what the law is, isn't it? The standard's way up here that we can't uh, attain. We can't fulfill it. We can't meet it. And there are even some who, uh, who, would, uh, who have claimed who under his influence have said that they are without sin. They've reached, that, they've reached that pinnacle in their Christian life. They've reached a point where they're not sinful anymore. They've arrived. They, they can live without sinning. They can go their whole day without sinning. They can go their whole day with, in, in a way that pleases the Lord, not only in the things they do or the things they don't do, but in the things they think and their affections. They can live their life without falling short of all God wants them to be. But there's a lot of scripture that says otherwise. 1 John 1.8 If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible speaks to the fact that until... Christ returns, we must be at war with our sinful desires. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, 17, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We know we're to walk by the Spirit, right? Not by the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a battle going on, isn't it? The spirit, the flesh, and sin is also it's not an enemy out there, is it? It's not an enemy out there. It's not this force. No, the enemy is within, 
right? James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Sin is an enemy that lives within. It feeds off our fallen human desires and weaknesses, doesn't it? James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, you and I, right, we're tempted when we are lured and enticed by what? Our own desire, right? We have these evil desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So this sinless perfectionism that was promoted is, is not biblical. It's not accurate. No, we, we, we desire, we look forward to being with Christ and being like Christ, and we, we seek that, don't we? We pursue that in our lives because his, the hope that we have. One day we'll be like him. That's our motivation to, to pursue that now, pursue him now. And as we pursue him and we're more intimate with him, we become more like him. But we still sin, don't we? We're depraved human beings. Even as we're redeemed, we're adopted children of God. We have a new nature, but yet we still struggle with sin, the flesh, sinful desires. Charles, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he's a, a pastor. If you don't know who he was, he's a great preacher, Baptist preacher. And he was at a conference where a preacher taught perfectionism and uh, kind of in an outspoken manner. And he even claimed to have reached this pinnacle where he, wasn't, he didn't sin anymore. And so Spurgeon kind of listened to that and kind of took note, and he didn't say anything and didn't challenge him at the, at the time. But instead, the next morning, as they're going to eat their breakfast and get ready for this conference that they were attending, he took his uh, milk and he poured it over the man's head. And the perfectionist did what? He responded like you and I would. Imperfect people, how do the imperfect people respond? And with a rage and hostility that you would expect from somebody with flesh on, right? So the perfectionist, his uh, perfectionism was discredited, to say the least. Yeah, he saw, Spurgeon saw the, the error of perfectionism, and we should too, right? And Paul was godly, wasn't he? He was an apostle, right? He's an apostle, and he, 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 he was apostle to the Gentiles, but yet he was still a sinner fighting against sin, but I think sometimes we can knee-jerk reaction. We say, okay, we, we, we can't be perfect in this life. But then what's the other reaction, knee-jerk reaction the other way? Is, well, we can't be perfect. So, yeah, we're just, we just conform to being sinners and living in rebellion. We give in to sin and we don't fight against it. We just shrug at sin's inevitability, right? Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah, everybody sins. Everybody does that. Everybody blows it, right? But we, I think sometimes we use this as an excuse to be complacent. But Paul didn't. That's the wonderful thing about Paul. He was a sinner like you and I, but he was, he, he was not satisfied with where he was in his relationship with the Lord. And we might not agree with John Wesley in regard to attaining perfection in this life, but we do appreciate his desire for holiness, and that's one thing that we can learn from his life and his preaching and his teaching. He desired to be holy, and he was a godly, godly man. And Legan Duncan, he says this. He makes a good point. It's the truth of my present imperfection and that God is progressively changing me and molding me to be more and more like Christ that keeps me from giving up. 
Because if I thought where I am now was as far as I was ever going to get, I'd give up today. I'd just completely give up. I'd have no hope. But the fact that I have not arrived there yet, the fact that God's sanctification process will not be ended until the final day, that gives me hope and that gives me comfort. And that gives us motivation. Now, yeah, the work he's doing in us, we, we read that in, in chapter 1, verse 6. The work that he began in us, he will complete. So we fight sin and we pursue holiness and, and want to be we want to know Christ and we want to be more like him. In fact, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we're going to be glorified. We're going to be one day. We're not like him now, but we will be one day. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That last verse, verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him, what's the hope? We hope in Christ that one day we will be like him. And what does that do? That has a purification effect. It purifies us, right? Yeah, because we know we're going to be like him one day. What do we do? We strive to be like him now. And Paul had some incredible experiences. Think about the Apostle Paul in his life. You remember that Damascus Road experience? What's the, what's the definition of an apostle? Anybody in here an apostle of Jesus? Yeah, someone saw Christ. Yeah, it's one of the sent out ones by Jesus personally to do ministry. Well, Paul, he says, you remember what Paul said? He says, I'm like one abnormally born, right? He didn't live uh, and, and, and walk with Christ when Christ was on earth. But what did he do? He, was, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And Jesus spoke to him and, and changed his life. And he had a vision of the Lord, and he tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4, and he heard things that, this is Paul, and he heard things that cannot be told. He's, he's not telling the first person, but this is it's about Paul. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Paul had some incredible experiences with the Lord. I mean, he had a radical life change on the Damascus Road, and he saw things that you and I, normal folks, we haven't seen. He wrote letters to these churches. He started these churches. He led people to Christ and influenced people that wrote the Scriptures. Not only him, but Luke. He walked with Christ for decades, but he was not satisfied with where he was and his, his relationship with the Lord and his, his heart, where his heart was. He wasn't satisfied. And in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He wasn't satisfied. He's dissatisfied with where he is. I'm not perfect, but I want to be. I'm not holy, but I want to be. There was a, a Greek artist, and he worked under a, a, a very well-known teacher. And for several years, the young painter, he, um, he worked diligently and studied diligently. And, and one day, he painted a, a, a portrait, and it was 
beautiful. It was exquisite. And he was so happy with it. And, in, and after he painted that picture, he just day after day, he just looked at it and admired it. One morning, he came in and he noticed that someone had defaced his portrait, this beautiful portrait that he was so proud of. Come to find out it was his teacher. Just black and just covered all the faces of those subjects in the painting. And he couldn't believe it. He was horrified. And he asked his teacher why he had destroyed his treasured painting. And the wise teacher says, I did it for your own good because the painting was holding you back. Yes, the painting was excellent, but it wasn't perfect. So start again and see if you can do better. So what did the student do? He, he began to do better, and he eventually painted a, a picture, a portrait that is considered the most beautiful ever painted. Are you satisfied with where you are in your walk with the Lord? Think about those who are satisfied in the Scriptures. I think about the church in Laodicea. You remember the letters in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Is that where we are today? I've got everything I need. I'm doing pretty good. I'm okay. Yeah, we all sin. We all blow it. Come on. We're people. We're not perfect. That's what the Laodicean believers, that's what they thought. They said they didn't need, they didn't need anything. They thought they were okay. But they didn't realize that they were wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. We are not perfect. And that ought to cause us to be dissatisfied with where we are in Christ. And Paul turns his dissatisfaction into devotion, pursuing the Lord, wanting to know him more, wanting to be more like him because he knew that only God can satisfy. And that leads us to a second point, verse 13. We're, we, as Christians, we're single-minded, forward-thinking people. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Notice that one thing I do. I want to ask you, what's one thing you do? Think about your life. Think about my life. We say, well, one thing I do. How would you answer that? One thing I do. Maybe it's family or work or TV or pleasure. One thing I do. What is that? I think for many of us, most of us, maybe we're too involved in too many things. And the phrase one thing kind of catches our guard. One, one thing. What, what is one thing? How would you answer that? And in the scripture, several times we see this phrase, one thing. Um, Psalm 27, 4. The psalmist, one thing that I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing I ask, one thing I desire is to be with the Lord. Mark chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus looked at this man, loved him and said, you're like one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you have, will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Who's, that, who's he speaking about here? 
Yeah, the rich young ruler, right? Yeah, one thing you lack. The one thing in that rich young man's life was his stuff. It wasn't Christ. And that was a problem. Luke chapter 10, verse 42, we see this one thing phrase again. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Who's Jesus talking to here? Martha, yeah. Martha's like, Mary's not helping me. I'm having to do, I'm carrying the whole load. Jesus, tell her to help. What, what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, right, just spending time with him. Yeah, one thing is necessary, and that's to sit at my feet to know me, right? Well, Paul is a specialist. Think about the Olympic athletes. I was, as I'm preparing this, I was thinking about that. You know, Olympic athletes, they specialize in, in one event. And Paul, he's like that. He specialized in one thing, reaching the goal, knowing Christ and being like him. Think about it, Olympic athletes. They train and train and train and train, and they have one thing that they do. And they just train, and they perfect that one thing, and they compete against other athletes who have been training about and learn how to do that one thing. And I got to think about the decathletes. You know, the decathletes, do you know what the decathlon is? Deca, that prefix is, means 10, right? And so the decathletes, the uh, they would compete in track and field, and they have 10 events that they, they compete in, and they all work hard at those 10 events, and, and someone will win the, the gold medal. And usually they're, they're considered the, the greatest athlete in track and field because they can do so many other things well. But you know what's interesting? Even though he's incredible athletic or she's incredibly athletic and they, they've won the gold medal in the decathlon, that you never see them. From, you know, sometimes I think, well, why don't they like, if they're so fast and they're so good, why don't they run the 100? Or why don't they run the 200? Or why don't they... Why don't they just enter in this, this, the javelin competition? You never see them doing that. And why is that? Because all those other athletes, they specialize in one event, and they get really, really good. But the decathlon, you do so many events, you're, you're really good, but you're not as good as the one who trains for that one specific event, right? They're too diversified. They're not single-minded. They're not focused on one event. Their interests are scattered. So what do we need? We need a one-track mind, being like Christ, knowing Christ. What's our goal? Paul says, I just want to know Christ. That's his one thing. And as you know Christ, you become more like him. We need to be single-minded. He says, forgetting what is behind. And Morgan read for us in our scripture reading today, the 1 Corinthians 9 passage and the Hebrews 12 passage. And Paul, he uses these illustrations, and he, 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 um, he liked athletics, I do believe, because he used these, these illustrations often dealing with athletics and, and sporting events. And he used these athletic pictures, illustrations to help us understand how much effort must be put forth in pursuing Christ and knowing him more intimately and in return becoming more like him. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he tells us to run with discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, run with endurance. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. There's a couple things you don't do when you're running a race. What is that? Number one is you don't fall down. Right? Number two, you don't stop. Number three is you don't look what? You don't look back. Yeah, if you're running track about it, that's a no-no, big no-no. Don't do that. Don't look back. 
you look forward, you look towards the finish line, you look ahead, you don't look back. We need to be forward-thinking people, forgetting what's behind us. What, what, could, what could hinder us for looking back? For all of us, it could be our failures, right, our sin. Because we all have skeletons in the closet, right? Yeah, we don't want to know them either, do, do you? You know, it's like, eh, I really want to know all the stuff. Yeah, we all have them because we all sin, right? And so sometimes we can get caught and we don't put our past in its place and it can hinder us. It can, it can be a struggle in our, in, our, in our own individual lives, in our, in our way we deal with people, in our marriages, and it can become just a, a big hindrance to us, like a, a ball and chain that we can't get away from. And that's true. Sometimes it's difficult to think rightly about what we've been forgiven of. And the Lord never brings those things up, but we do, right? We can't move on. But also, I think sometimes our past successes can hinder us. And you know people like this. They, they kind of revel in their past victories, and they want to tell you about how they led somebody to the Lord in 1992. They go, 1992? That was a... That was a Lifetime ago, wasn't it? Like 1992, you let somebody lower 1992. So what? Good gracious. Do you know how long that's been? I was a freshman in college back then. It's a long time ago. Yeah, what about 2020? What are you done in 2020? Sometimes we, we do. We hang on to the past and we just glory in the past. Well, I used to do this and you used to do that and what about recently? What about this last week? Sometimes that can hinder us. David Livingstone, he was a pioneer missionary to Africa. Morgan, these glasses, when I get finished, I'm going to give them to you, throw them in the garbage. Because they keep coming up and they're like lopsided and I keep having to adjust them. Throw them in the garbage for me, okay, buddy? David Livingstone, he was a missionary. He's got a great biography, great story. He, he was a missionary to Africa. And he returned to Great Britain to the church, just kind of give a report. And someone asked him, what do you want to do now? And his response, I love it. He says, I'm ready to go, any, go anywhere, provided it be forward. He was a forward-thinking man, and Paul was. And we should be as well. We can't live in the past. We, we need to strive to know Jesus more and to be more like him. And we have a goal to live for. Look at verse 14, right? The finish line is... It needs to be kept in view. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we see this, verse 13, we saw this, these, these verbs, straining forward, right? And here we see press on towards the goal. You know, we need to be moving forward. We need to be motivated, right? Making forth, putting forth effort. It's not a, to earn anything. It's, it's, a, it's a response to what God's done for us. All right, it's not something, we're not doing it to get something, but no, it's a response to what God has done for us. So what do we do? We get after it and we pursue him because we want to know him more. There's a, there's a tombstone at the foot of a, one of the mountains in the Alps, and it's to honor the memory of a man who fell. He was trying to climb the peak, and he fell to his death, and so they buried him there. And under the individual's name, there's an epitaph, and it read, He died climbing. He died climbing. Yeah. May we do so as well. May we die climbing, trying to be like Christ, trying to know Him better. 
you know, as a believer, there's real, there's no retirement. I don't know. This year, probably, maybe maybe last year, I started thinking about retirement. And so I started thinking about what happens when I get where physically I'm not able to do anything. You know, I'm not able to earn money and to work. I have to have some money. So I started thinking about that. I have to put some money back for myself and for Jenny when, when I'm, I can never see myself not working. But there may be a time where I'm physically not able and I still have to provide, you know. So I started thinking about that. But as believers, there's no retirement. You know, and I, I say this to, to older folks, if you're viewing or you're here, there's no retirement on ministry. So when I'm going to, I'm retired, so I can just kind of kick back and relax and I'm going to travel and da-da-da-da-da. That's not, you don't see that in the scriptures. Never to say that's what we should do. What do we do? No, we should continually do ministry. And, and as a retired person, you have more money, a lot of you, maybe more money and more time than you ever would before. You say, yeah, but I don't have the energy. Well, use what energy you have to do the Lord's work. Paul's last letter. What was Paul's last letter he ever wrote? You may know off the top of your head. 2 Timothy. Paul here is in prison, right? He's writing this from prison. This is his considered his first imprisonment. He's going to get out of prison, but he's going to be in prison a second time. And this is right before he is executed. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, He's already had a hearing, and he expects to be executed soon. And he says this. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering at the, and the time of my departure. Departure, not, not means get out of the slammer. Departure means, you know, um, my, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the raid. I've, I've kept the faith. So he's, he's at the end of his life, end of his ministry. He knows my time of my death is coming. I don't have long here. Um, I mean, think about it. He's, he's kind of retired, right? Well, he's retired. He's in prison. He's, he's the apostle. He started up teen churches. But what does Paul ask for in verse 13 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy? You have that one for us? This is, what he, this is kind of his, at the end of his letter. He's asking for things. He says, when you come, bring the cloak, because it's cold in the dungeon, in the, in the prison probably, that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also, what does he ask for? I mean, he's, man, he's, you think, man, he's the expert. He's the church planning expert. He's the, the, the father of all these churches, the spiritual father of all these people. I mean, the Lord used him to help bring about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He's the apostle to the Gentiles, for goodness sake. What does he ask for? You think, well, I'm too old to learn. I didn't read the Bible so many times. I don't need to read it again. Well, Paul did. Look, he says the books and above all the parchments. The books are uh, probably made of papyrus and then the parchments, probably animal skins. So I don't think this is like journals. Most likely, I would guess this is probably some of the Old Testament scriptures, right? Maybe even some, some of the, yeah, I don't know. I, I just hard for me to think that this doesn't have some scriptures um, involved with that. Yeah, he wanted to. He wanted to learn. He wanted to learn. He wanted to know Christ more. You never give up learning about Christ. I mean, you think about athletes. So they ask them questions about their their careers, and sometimes they'll they'll say when they're interviewing athletes about their careers and their accomplishments. You know, there's going to come a time when when I'm going to retire, when I'm finished playing, that I'll I'll look back on my career and I'll be able to 
revel in all the victories and think about all the accomplishments, you know. Well, Paul's at that point where really, you know, he could kick back and look at all that God has done through him. I mean, that's when they, they always talk about the, the, the goat question, right? Who's the greatest of all time? Do you think you're the greatest of all time? Well, when I'm done, we'll, we'll assess and we'll see, right? Well, Paul doesn't do that. And think about it. Well, who's, who's the greatest apostle? Who's the greatest apostle? You know, Paul doesn't do that. What does he do? He just wants the, the books and the, and the parchments. He wants to know the Lord more. Well, we're not going to know, or we're not going to be like Christ fully in this lifetime because we, uh, we're sinful and we have this flesh, but because we're promised to be like him, we're, we're motivated to, be, to know him more and to be like him and to become like him. We should never be satisfied. We're single-minded. We're forward-thinking followers of Jesus. But the last thing that we see here is that we're, we're to be gospel-focused. In order to do that, we have to be gospel-focused. And you see, look at verse 12. Where do you, you say, where do you see the gospel in these, in these verses? Well, look at verse 12. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus did what? Has made me his own. See the gospel there? Why are you a believer? Because, because God has made you his own through Christ. Right? Look at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward, what? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we see that Christ has made Paul his own. And he, he talks about this call. And that's an effectual call. It's not like you call your kids, come to dinner, and they don't come. That's not the same call there. No, it's an effectual call. He calls them. What do you do? You come. We see the gospel here, don't we? This gospel effect, we have to keep the gospel in view because the gospel what motivates us. We have to remember this work that, that's happened in my life. It's not that, actually, it's not something that you just kind of, you know, you grit your teeth and, and got her done. No, this is God's work. This is what he's done for me. It's not what I've done for him. It's what he's done for me. And if you don't understand that the gospel, that your salvation is a work of God, then you're missing the point. No, the gospel is all about what God's done for us. Look at verse 15, 16, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any anything... Or if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Well, mature people, how do they think? They don't think they're perfect. They don't think that they've arrived. They don't think that they've, well, they've studied the Bible enough. They know God enough. They're godly enough. No, that's not what mature people think. They don't get caught up in despairing over past sins, nor do they revel in past victories. What do they do? They're they're. They have their sights on Christ and they seek to know him and they want to obey him in all things, hoping, anticipating the day when they will be glorified. And they do all of this while keeping the gospel in, in view, the gospel perspective. They run the race not thinking that they don't need to put forth effort. No, they put forth effort and they, knowing this is God's work in me, but I'm pursuing him. I want to know him. And if you get off, start thinking about works, or start thinking about you probably don't need to 
pursue the Lord, what, what does Paul say? I trust that the Lord will, will do his work and he'll bring that to your attention and he'll remind you of the truth of the gospel. Mature believers don't think, well, I can coach. You know, one day I'm going to be like Jesus, so it really doesn't matter how I live today. Well, one day I'm going to be like the Lord, and it don't really matter today how I spend my time and my energy and my money. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained, Paul says. Again, Paul knew that he had room to grow. God's sanctifying work in Paul was still a work in progress. That's why Paul uses these pronouns, us and we, right? Yeah, it's not you, him and you. No, it's we and us because he recognized he's still growing. He still needs to, you know, he's still living a life of repentance, confessing a sin, repenting of a sin as he, sees it as brought his attention. And we don't regress, do we? We keep the standard of seeking Christ that you, you already said. No, you keep keep pursuing Christ, keep pursuing Christ, and, and don't regress. It's the same term there. Where he says, let us hold true. It's the same same word in Galatians 5.25 where he, he tells the Galatian believers there to keep in step with the Spirit. No, keep doing it. Keep holding fast to that standard. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pursuing the Lord. Just application. What, we, what do we do with this? I think, firstly, we're, we're not perfect. We won't be this side of heaven, but that imperfection should keep us motivated focused on running towards Christ and becoming more like Him? Are, are you growing in your faith? Are you progressing in your sanctification process? Can you say, I'm becoming more like Christ? I'm becoming more knowledgeable of His will as I study His Word. I'm becoming more like Him in my character and, and how I treat people. I mean, it's a, it's a growing process. Are you, are you growing? Are you becoming more like Christ? We should be as believers. Secondly, are we a one-thing people? What's your main goal? What's your one thing? He said, you're all about one thing. What would that one thing be? It may be hunting or fishing or going to the lake or working or family. You know, family can be the, even be a, something that's an idol. What's the one thing? What's our main goal? Is it to know Christ? To be like in Matthew 6, we see the same things over and over again in the Scriptures. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, This will serve them out, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Yeah, what's the, what's the one thing that we need to be focused on? And, and thirdly, if we've embraced the gospel, you know, we should be, we have to keep that in the forefront of our mind, be gospel-oriented. That's what motivates us. That's what motivates us. That's what keeps us grounded. That's what keeps us focused on Christ is what he's done for us. And maybe you're here and you've never, you've never been born again. You're a, a believer or you say you're a believer, but yet you say, you know, I've never, I've never trusted Christ. I've never turned from my sin. I've been living for myself. I've never trusted Christ, work on the cross as my own. Maybe today you need to repent. Maybe you're not a believer and you need to repent and trust Christ. I want to encourage you to do so. Or maybe you're a believer and you're not growing in your faith. The gospel is not central. It's, 
is not your focus. The gospel is not on the forefront of your mind. You know, you never graduate from the gospel. You know, it's like the ABCs of Christianity. Well, you do the ABC and you kind of move on. You never move on from the gospel. Our faith is about the gospel. It is the gospel. So let's keep that our focus. Well, I'll be praying for you this week that you'll apply the word. If you have questions about the text, you can, of course, you can ask me in small groups. You'll be talking about that next week. I encourage you too. If you're not in a small group, if you're here and you come on Sunday mornings, you're not involved in any kind of small group. We have small groups on Sunday morning at 9:30, and we also have some that meet Sunday night. We have uh, two groups that'll be meeting tonight. So glad you're here. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Sunny. The Lord's um, blessed us today. I'm glad you came. And anything else before we dismiss? Anything we need to talk about? Yep. Ladies, Grandma, we do me a favor. Will you go get a, a notepad and a pen? Yeah. And then we'll put it back here. And Morgan's going to get us a note, notepad and a pen for the men. If you want to participate in the men's study, even I know some days, some of you, you're like, well, I can't do it every, other, every time. There may be things I have to do. It's okay. The book's going to be a great resource for you. Um, but if you can, if you, want to, you think, well, I can participate some, then get it, sign up and get a book, and then we'll, uh, we'll meet on Monday nights. Because I think for most people, there's going to be times where you can't be here. People will be out of town or you have to work or things come up. But I encourage you to do that. All right, well, let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Grace to you, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you are good to us, and our salvation is, is from you and we are thankful there's so many in here as I look around so many testimonies represented here so many people have been changed by your grace and mercy we're thankful Lord we recognize that Lord apart from you there's nothing good in us Lord we don't we don't get any credit for the salvation that, that's taking place in our lives it is totally your work and we're thankful for that we're thankful that you've like just like Saul on the road to Damascus, you've called us out of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of your son. And Father, we pray that you would help us keep that gospel message, the truth of the gospel, on the forefront of our minds, Lord, that we wouldn't be prideful or judgmental, but Lord, we would be seeking you. And Lord, may that grace you've given us be our motivation to be a one-thing people. That one thing is to know you more and to please you. Help us to seek you before all things. And we know you promise that you'll bless us in return. For those that are traveling, Lord, a lot of our folks, it's a long weekend, a lot of people out of town. We pray for protection for them, protection for those that are, that are home. Lord, there are some that are sick that have the virus that are quarantined. We pray for grace for them. There's some of our shut-ins that are not doing well, that have been sick. We just pray for grace for them. And Lord, help us to be a church that you want us to be loving them rightly. And Lord, if there's anyone here that's, that's lost, that, that's been convicted because of their sin and because of your Holy Spirit's work, I pray that you would grant them repentance and faith even today. And Lord, may you move in their hearts to not only repent and trust Christ as Savior and Lord, but to be able to tell somebody here at the church what's going on so we can help them. Thank you, Lord. Bless us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen.